2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1. And it begins with these words, Paul and Silvanus, which is Silas, better known as Silas in the book of Acts, and, and Timotheus, or Timothy, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's clear that this was an epistle, a letter written to a local assembly, a local church, the church that was located in Thessalonica. Uh, my wife and I had the privilege many years ago of visiting Thessalonica. And we actually flew into Thessalonica and rented a car and drove up to Philippi and then back down to Thessalonica and on further south, eventually down to Corinth in Athens. But it's a beautiful area. But there was a church started there during Paul's missionary journey. So he's writing this letter to this church. And verse 2 says, Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet. The word meet there, of course, means fitting or proper. It's necessary. It's it's. We're bound to give thanks for you as it is meet because, notice the language here, and this will be the emphasis of our message tonight, that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Now, as you know, this is not just the opinion of some man. This, we're, talking about, we're reading the Word of God. This is the inspired and errant Word of God. And Paul the Apostle is writing this church and commending them that their faith is growing. Your faith groweth exceedingly. And I think it would be good just to think about how God wants a church's faith to grow. Right? And if a church's faith is going to grow, it's because the members' faith is growing. Right? So let's think about that together tonight Pray as we pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. What a blessing it is to have the Bible, to read the Bible, and to not only have the Bible and be able to read the Bible, but by the grace of God to have the Spirit of God dwelling within us to teach us the word of God. We ask you to be our teacher tonight. Lord, we want to be open to your leadership, to your instruction, to your encouragement, to your insight. I pray that tonight you would help us all to be attentive to your word and to what it says to us. And not only hear it and understand it, but to live it, to apply it, to walk in it. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I, I do not think it would be possible... To overestimate the importance of the pattern of New Testament churches. And today there is such an abundance of resources about what church ought to be like. I mean it can be found on blog sites, in periodicals, in magazines, opinion writers. All opinions about what church ought to be like. But I want to tell you the best the best, most reliable resource uh, 
for what church ought to be like is the Word of God. This is, the, this is Paul, the church planter, the missionary, the apostle, writing to a church, and he is talking to them about their ministry. There's so much that we can learn. I'm not saying that all these other resources are not valuable. They have their place. But the best place to learn about New Testament Christianity is in the Bible. The best place to learn about church life is in the Bible. It's not in what so-and-so says. It's what does God say. And there's much we can learn from these first century congregations. They're powerful, positive examples, patterns for us to follow. If you, we were refer, we think about the church at Philippi, the letter to the Philippians. The Philippi is a book that talks about this church. And great things were said about the church at Philippi. Paul commended them for their generosity, commended them for their giving. The church at Ephesus is another. We have two epistles written, letters written to the church here at Thessalonica. And they were commended about things about like their giving and their love and their evangelism and their faith and their missionary activity. Also, you can read the New Testament and you can find negative examples of what churches should not strive to be like. The church at Corinth, for instance, they were rebuked for their carnality. They were not spiritually minded. They were carnal, fleshly. They were not unified. They were dysfunctional. There was a party spirit and jealousy among them. And we can read that and say, this is not what God wants. God rebuked that church for that. You could read in the, in the book of the Revelation and the rebuke on the church at Ephesus because they had left their first love. The rebuke on the church at Laodicea because they were lukewarm. We can read the Bible and we can see what God wants in churches and what he what he doesn't approve of in churches, I'm glad we have a Bible. And here we have Paul and Silas and Timothy who are writing this church and they're being thankful for the growth of this church in the matters of their faith and their love. Look in verse 3 again, it says, Because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you toward each other aboundeth. Now, I want to just think for a little bit about this phrase, faith groweth exceedingly. Three words. Let's think about the word faith. What does the word faith mean? Generally in the New Testament, it means one of two things. Number one, it means your belief, your trust, your confidence, your faith in God. But it also means your doctrinal integrity. You know, remember where it says in Jude... Uh, that we're to contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. That's talking about the body of truth. These people were being commended for their faith. That has to do with their spiritual maturity. Paul was commending them for their faith life, their faith. They lived by faith. They were true to the faith. But then he says their faith is increasing. It's growing. It's not stagnant. I think that's a good lesson for us. We'll develop that a little more as we move along. But their faith is growing. I really enjoyed uh, the Sunday school lesson this morning in the Antioch class. And one of the things that was brought out by uh, the lesson today was sometimes we can look back in our life 
And as we look back in our life, we see that we were more maybe spiritually inclined than we are now. Our faith should not be declining. It ought to be increasing. It shouldn't be we look back and say, boy, I really served God back then. We ought to be growing. We ought to be going in the right direction. I've read this Bible through a lot of times. Many of you have as well. I've never read one time where God excuses or condones going backwards spiritually. Now, we might make excuses for it, and we might blame others for it, but it's not a good thing. Their faith was growing. And then notice it says their faith was growing exceedingly. Exceedingly. That's not gradual growth. That's not normal growth. Some churches would be growing some. This church was growing exceedingly, more than you would suspect. It was a great church. This was a great church. If I was a new Christian wanting to know what a good church member should be like, I'd I'd think about reading this book and say, this is what I want to be like. He was writing to the members of a local congregation. And he says, your faith is growing exceedingly. It's good to see growth, right? We're We're kind of in a dormant place as far as everything around us. But when, you know, spring will come. And things will start to grow. My wife and I, uh, a few years ago, we introduced uh, a, a separate, a new kind of uh, grass in our yard than we had had. The grass we had had for years is crabgrass. It's a very desirable kind of grass. No, it wasn't really. But we introduced this zoysia into our front yard. And you couldn't even see it. For, for two years, you couldn't even see it. And I looked for it. But then it started growing. And it started spreading. And until now, it's covered the front yard pretty completely. Um, But one of the things I've determined to do this year, because I can't really tell how fast it's growing, is during this dormant season now, when nothing's growing, I want to measure it from where it is. And then next year, I want to see how much it grew during the springtime and the summer. You, are you with me? You probably think you've got too much time on your hands. I want to see how it's growing. And you know, I think sometimes like grass growing, our spiritual growth kind of can be seasonal. In other words, we might have these growth spurts and then we might just sort of seem like we're not going anywhere spiritually. But growth should be taking place. Our faith should be growing. And I just, I want to emphasize a few things tonight, but I wanted to strongly press home this point. Wherever you are in your spiritual life, don't be satisfied with not growing spiritually. And nobody else is responsible for that but you. It's not your husband or your wife's responsibility for you to grow. It's not your parents' responsibility for you to grow. It's not even your pastor's responsibility for you to grow. It's your responsibility to take your spiritual life seriously and say, I want to be a growing Christian. Their faith was growing. Now, if I look at this passage that we just read, there's several things that I can surmise from this passage. The first one is God wants our faith to grow. God wants it to grow. 
Second of all, that growing faith can be seen. Paul could see it. He saw evidence of it. He wasn't making this up. This was a reality. This church, and this was mentioned in Sunday school this morning, uh, Brother Jedediah has been teaching from the first epistle of Paul to the Thessalonians in his Sunday school class. And he mentioned this, that their, that their, their growth was unusual. It was unusual spiritual growth. And you've met people like that, I'm sure. And churches like that. Their faith was growing. And that growth could be seen. Now here's another important thing from the Bible. Let's take what we believe from the Bible. From the Bible we see that that growth would be evident in the context of his churches. He didn't write a letter to individual Christians and say, man, you are really growing. He wrote to a church and says, you're really growing. But churches don't grow as an institution. They grow as individual people who are growing in grace and learning to follow the Lord. And, and, where, and where, so if faith is to grow, where does faith come from? Where does faith come from? And for the, for the purpose of this message, I want to be very... Uh, uh, just kind of summarize this in a simple way. But faith grows from hearing and believing and obeying the word of God. That's where faith comes from. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If, you're, if your life is pretty much absent of the word of God, your faith more than likely is not growing. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, a Friday night at our house, we hosted the teenagers. And uh, we try to do that about once ever 10 years. It takes us about that long to get over it. No, I'm just kidding. We had a great time. It was a blast. We had some good Bible study. But we talked about the parable of the sower. And how the seed was sown. And that seed that was sown... No mistaking, that seed was the word of God. That seed was sown. And the Bible says that some of it fell by the wayside. And this is what it said about it. It was trodden under the foot of men. I said to the young people, that's what some people do with the Bible. They just trample it under their feet. They don't have any use for the Bible. They don't have any real serious interest in obeying the Bible. They just trample it under their feet. Some believed, but only temporarily. It was a short-lived faith. They lived by faith temporarily. But some kept the word of God. And they believed it. And they obeyed it. And it brought forth fruit. Where does faith come from? It comes from the word of God. And faith, faith grows as we let the word of God work in our life. As we, as we take God's word as the final authority. My opinions and your opinions are should not be the final authority. Our preferences, what we prefer, should not be the final authority. What ought to be the final authority is the word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. What does the Bible say? It matters little what we think compared to what the Bible says. Now that seems a little uh, maybe exaggerated, maybe a little fanatical, but that's, that's why faith grows. In this church, and I'm not going to turn to it, but in the first epistle of Paul to the Thessalonians, he said this about him, the, these people. 
when you received the word of God, you received it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God. You, when you heard preaching, you said, that is God's word. That's, that came right from the mouth of God, and I'm going to obey it because it came from God. That's how faith grows. You know why, you know how you shrink faith? You know how you, you cause faith to shrink and shrivel? It's when you question everything and doubt everything and cast doubt on everything rather than just believe what God says. Unbelief will ruin your spiritual growth. Being critical will ruin your spiritual growth. You may feel important because you have a critical spirit, but I'm telling you, what grows a person spiritually is when they hear the Word of God and they receive the Word of God, they obey the Word of God. This is the pattern of the Thessalonican church. This was a great, great church. You don't have to look very far to find those who were once thriving spiritually. They were once receiving and obeying truth. They were excited about what God says. Their faith was growing. Who are now in spiritual decline. It happens. By the way, it could happen to me. It can happen to anyone. The good news is that spiritual tailspin can be corrected. But it's not corrected by defending our unbelief or insisting on us having our way. You know what corrects it? Repenting of the fact that we've not been believing what God says and believe what God says. A lot of things in the Bible, a lot of times in the Bible, maybe I should say, God uses agricultural uh, illustrations because this was an agricultural uh, world uh, New Testament time. But as I was studying this, I was thinking about this parable that Jesus told. I'm just going to kind of quickly tell you the parable. And it said that there was this man who had a fig tree. And it was, this fig tree was planted in his vineyard, and he came and looked for fruit. My grandparents on my father's side used to have a large fig tree just outside the corner of their house. And when I read that story, I think about that massive fig tree, more like a bush really, but it was a large fig tree. And so they came and sought fruit on it, but there was none. They looked for fruit, there was no fruit on the tree. And so this man said to the dresser of the vineyard, the man whose job it was to maintain the vineyard, he says, three years I've been coming to look at this tree. Three years I've looked for fruit on this tree and I find none. Cut it down. Cut it down. It's cumbering the ground. Why? This is the language of the New Testament. Why cumbereth it the ground? Now, Jesus is telling this parable. And he's not really talking about figs. He's talking about people. And he said, this man had a fig tree. It wasn't producing fruit. Three years went by. It's still not producing fruit. Why don't you cut it down? But this is what the, the groundskeeper said to the man who had the vineyard. He said, Lord, let it alone this year also. Let me dig around it and dung it. Let me break up the soil and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, then good. If it doesn't bear fruit, we'll cut it down. You know what that tells me? It tells me that it may not have been fruitful, but sometimes it's possible to stimulate the productivity 
that it might start bearing fruit. I say all that to say, you don't have to stay in a place of spiritual decline. Now, you can if you want to, but you don't have to. There's things you might do to get yourself back to where you're on the right track spiritually. You might need to dig it up and dung it. You might need to break up the fallow ground. You may need to get more serious about your spiritual life. You may need to start looking more inward at what's going on in your life than outward and finding fault with others. But whatever the case might be, God wants our faith to grow. God wants our faith to grow. Ask yourself, ask yourself tonight, how's my faith growing? Don't think about somebody else. Think about your husband, your wife, your children, your parents. I kid around with our teenagers because I love them, most of them. (laughs) No, I do love them. But I want to see them growing spiritually. I want to see evidence that something real is going on in their heart. You know, you can sit in a church with a blank, kind of a blank stare, hear a lot of sermons and not be going in the right direction spiritually. And for some people, that may not matter. For me, it matters a great deal. Because I want to see your faith grow. Now, here's the point of this message. I've spent a long time introducing the message. Here's the point. What would growing faith, if you had growing faith, if, I, if my faith was growing, if our faith was growing, what would that faith result in? What would the absence of that faith produce? And I want to go back, if you're in 2 Thessalonians, go back a couple of pages. I want to borrow just two verses from the Antioch class. The lights didn't flash, just so you know. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You know, in verse 3, Paul again, this is the first letter he wrote to this same church, and he's commending them again, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. And labor of love, your faith. But you move on down to verse 6, he says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. This was emphasized this morning, I think, in class. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad. See, this is what growing faith produces. Growing faith produced in a church witnessing missions, evangelism. From you, from the church at Thessalonica, from you, sounded out the word of the Lord. From you. People in Macedonia and Achaia and beyond. Every place we go, your faith, your faith is spoken. Ask yourself this question. Let's be honest. I think we ought to be honest with ourselves and honest with the word of God. Would it, would it ever be that people would speak positively of my faith growing? Or your faith growing? That's what he's saying. You're, they, they speak about the fact that you're, you're evangelizing, you're witnessing, you're growing. And I, and, and I take all of that and I, then I look at our church and the faith of our church. And I say again, when you consider the faith, faith of a church, you, you're thinking about the faith of the members of that church. 
Now, I just feel compelled to address this periodically, and this is about this subject, but it's really about the, the importance of the church. There's so many people in our generation that don't recognize or even minimize the role and responsibility given in the Bible to churches. They just don't get it. They won't see it. They don't see it. They won't admit it. But I want to tell you, that opinion they have does not come from the Bible. It's a misguided opinion. And I'm not saying they're evil. I'm not saying they're unsaved. But I'm saying this. I I developed this strong belief about the role of churches by reading this book right here. That's all we're reading about is the, the importance of this church, a local assembly, and how God was using them. God gave his word to the churches. Where do we get 1 Thessalonians? It was a letter written to a church. Where do we get 2 Thessalonians? Where do we get Philippians? Where do we get, where do we get Ephesians? Where did we get, where do we get the, the rebuke to the church at Ephesus in Revelation or the rebuke to the church of Laodicea in Revelation? Where do we get all of this insight? We get it from the word of God. God dealing with churches. And in the, in the book of the Revelation, how many times did Jesus say, He that hath ears to hear, hear what the Spirit saith unto the what? Churches. And when a person takes a position that involvement in the church and the ministry of the church is unimportant, they're taking a position that's contrary to what the Bible teaches. I thank God for His Word that clarifies such important things. Who did God give the Great Commission to? He gave it to churches. And He commends the churches. For their evangelism and for their discipleship. And as I think about our church, and we were talking in our meeting about expanding our missionary influence in our budget meeting tonight and adding missionaries and putting on more missionaries. The growth of our faith, your faith, if you're a member of this church, your faith, the growth of your faith and my faith and our faith will directly affect the outreach and the influence of our church. The missionary involvement. Spiritual advances are made by faith. By faith. In your own life, victories come about because of faith. Not just because of circumstances, not just because of feelings. They come about by faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our what? Our faith. Turn with me, if you would, from this passage to the left. To 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now this was a church that had some issues. Anybody that knows their Bible knows the church at Corinth had some issues. But it was still a church. Thank God for that. As a matter of fact, they were doing some things right as far as their faith is concerned. Did I say 2 Corinthians 8? Look with me if you would in verse 7. Therefore, as you abound in everything... In faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, what I understand from that verse is this church was abounding in some. The word abound doesn't mean that it just had some. It means it was overflowing, abounding. It was abundant. And what were they abounding in? They were to abound in faith, right? In verse 7, as you abound in everything, in faith. So it was a church who knew something about faith. But now turn with me, please, to the right. Just one page, maybe, or two. 
to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read a few verses and make a final application. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Paul says, But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. Paul had reached as far as Corinth. And that's a long ways uh, from Jerusalem, of course, but even from Antioch. It's a long ways to Corinth, the southern tip of what is now Greece. Verse 14, for we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. We've been there. We visited Corinth. And he did. We know that. Verse 15, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope. Now notice the next phrase. Having hope when your faith is increased, that we should be enlarged by you abundantly according to our rule abundantly, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. And not to boast in another man's line of things, but made ready to our hand. He says, when, you, when your faith is increased, it will enable us to preach the gospel in regions beyond you. Now, the, I'm not reading anything into this. This is what Paul said. Paul said to the church at Corinth, you, you have faith and your faith is abound, has been abounding. But the only thing keeping me, he's a missionary, a church planter, an apostle, the only thing keeping me from going further beyond you is the fact that I'm waiting on you to increase in your faith. Aren't you glad we have a Bible to read? I'm so thankful for the Word of God. So that brings back to this subject of what does growing faith produce? He says when your faith is increased, when he was not a member of the church at Corinth, But he helped start the church at Corinth. He was a member of the church at Antioch. But he says, when you as a church, your faith increases, it will enable us to take the gospel even beyond you. You know, unbelief, whether we realize it or not, unbelief robs us of personal victories. It robs us of peace. It robs us of joy. Unbelief causes us to worry and fret. Unbelief causes us to think the worst. That's what unbelief does. But it also robs us of corporate victories, of of taking the gospel further. The spread of the gospel through the ministries of churches is is directly affected by the faith of its members. I thank God for people in our church that are serious about the gospel and serious about the Lord and supporting the ministry and giving to the, the church through their tithes and offerings and through faith promise to world missions and giving and that money supporting missionaries around the world. I thank God for that. But let, we should never be satisfied and say, man, that's, that's enough. The world needs to be reached. The world needs the gospel. And the more our faith grows, it's, just, it's not just, you know, I don't want us to think, well, if my faith grows, then I'll have more peace of mind. That's true. That's very true. If my faith grows, then... Maybe I won't worry so much about stuff. And that's true. But if our faith grows, so will our vision and faith for the work of God grow. 
Uh, I was encouraged this morning by the testimony uh, that Brother Crowder shared about promising to help a homeless man after dinner. <laughs> you had to have been there to understand. But, you know, he, in his testimony in Sunday school, he shared, though, he felt like God directed him. Here, just please hear me out. He felt like God directed him to show an interest in this homeless person in Atlanta. That happens when our faith is growing. We, we, see, we see opportunities. We are willing to hear God's nudging in our heart, his direction. You know what happens when your faith is in the decline, when your faith is not growing, when your faith is stagnant, when your spiritual growth has been put on hold? All, those things began to become less and less frequent. Right? They do. See, here's the point. Your faith being stagnant doesn't just affect you. It affects others. There's no, we don't have a faith meter. Be nice if we did. Put your finger in this little thing and it judges your faith life. Like checking your oxygen. You know what they do that at the hospital. Wouldn't it be good if we had one of those things at every, at every seat? Just stick your finger in there and it'll tell you how your faith life is doing. Wouldn't it be wonderful? And what would make it even more effective is if it would flash the result up on the screen. But you know what? We think like this sometimes. We think, ah, oh, my unbelief, my, my lack of faith, it doesn't really affect anybody but me. Based on the stuff we studied tonight, I think, I think you're wrong about that if you think that way. What if, think about this. What if every member of this church, their faith was vibrant and trusting God their heart for the work of God was alive, wasn't stagnant, what a difference it would make. What a difference it would make in your family. What a difference it would make in this community. What a difference it would make through our outreach. Your faith groweth exceedingly. Now, as I said this morning, I think we are stewards. I think we are stewards of our own spiritual condition right? We have to take responsibility for where we are spiritually. And I would like to encourage you tonight, if you're thinking, you know, my faith is not as positive an influence for the cause of Christ as it should be. Wouldn't it be good just to take a little while and say, God, I want to be a contributor not just in money, but in faith, in trust, in service. I want, to be, I, want to, I want to be invested in the work of God through our church. And the more people that do that, like the church at Thessalonica, like the church at Philippi, the more people that do that, the more God's word spreads and the more God's work is done. And isn't it just a blessing? I, I say this as sincerely as I, I can. It's a blessing that God would let us be a part of his work. That God would allow us the privilege of being a part of his work. What a blessing it is. Amen?